Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony, and I'm your host. With over a decade in the local church, I care deeply and passionately about helping you connect with Jesus in practical ways. Today's guest is a legend in the Christian radio industry. Stephen Arterburn is an author and a radio broadcaster and just a thought leader in the Christian world. He's got a brand new resource out called Every Believer's Thought Life. Uh, This one took a long time to schedule, but I'm so glad we did because he is an absolute gift. We talk about improving your thought life, unhealthy nostalgia, and uh, what it's like to be publishing books since 1984. So it's a, a fascinating conversation. I hope you like it. And if you do, do me a favor, share this episode with a friend, maybe somebody who you know listens to Stephen, or uh, somebody who could lose uh, a little bit of adjustment in their thought life. So now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Stephen Arterburn. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have author, speaker, radio host, Stephen Arterburn with us. Steve, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Uh, I think we started trying to schedule this in November. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I was wondering if God was keeping us from this on purpose because the last time we were supposed to, there was a tornado in my neighborhood. Like it was, uh, it didn't touch down, thank God, but, but I had to cancel. I, I emailed your assistant and I was like, Hey, uh, I can't do anything. I'm in the basement huddled around with my family. <laughs> that's wild. When you didn't die. So I think that's great. Cause um, you know, I think the book's important for people to know about. And, and if you had died, they wouldn't. Right. So well, good. Amen. Really good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of books, right. you've, you've written so much. You've been in radio for um, a long time. You've, 35. Yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're what we call seasoned. You're a seasoned vet here. Uh, right. So one yeah. of the questions that I, I love to ask people is how do you mm-hmm. define the calling that God has placed on your life? Mm. Well, um, when I was in seminary, one of the I, I, I was kind of the pet student of the dean of the school. Mm. It was Southwestern Baptist Theological, and and I was studying counseling. And he let me go to these doctoral uh, courses. So so I go to this class, and the professor stands up and says, I have no secret. I will tell you anything you want to know. My wife has given me clearance. There's nothing that's off limits. I'll let you know everything. So I'm sitting there going, wow, here I am at seminary, first class. The professor is a total liar because, (laughs) you know, I just didn't think anybody could be that way. I couldn't at that time be that way. But before that, class was over, I felt like God was not only calling me to be open, but was calling me to be a revealer Mm. of the things that I had done. And I, um, you know, I was a chief therapist on an alcohol and drug unit and stuff, but I kept getting these urges and opportunities out of counseling and into administration. And that might've been God saving people from me being their therapist. And, and so I kept, I just kept responding in these opportunities. And so I felt called to lead and I felt called to lead by telling people what I had been through. 
And, you know, sometimes that came with a price. Mm. But I, I've never questioned what it was that I was to do. And really, it's I had a calling to find uh, unmet needs and try to fill those needs. To that end, you know, um, some people called me one day and said, can we meet with you? And I met with them and, and they wanted me to start my own company to help people with psychological problems. Well, here was this big unmet need. A lot of Christians needed psychiatric care, but they didn't trust it. Yeah. Because, I mean, really. So these guys gave me a couple of million dollars and we had 32 psychiatric treatment programs and turned it into 91 million in revenue. Mm. And so, so it's like, that's what God blessed women of faith. Um, you know, we had, uh, over 2 million, I mean, I'm sorry, over 5 million came in 20 years, but the first year I was traveling with some men and that wasn't women of faith. That was men of something. And in nine cities, we had less than a thousand people. Wow. We had a ballroom in Chicago, 35 people showed up. So when women of faith happened, like I had this vision for that, 35,000 the first year, 150,000 the next year, 350,000, filling arenas with 20,000 people. So two things. One, I knew who was making this successful. The gift was failing. And then this happens. I was never confused. But secondly, I just knew how to help things grow. Mm. So it hasn't been a question. I was not intended to be a therapist or a pastor of a church. And people are fortunate now that I didn't (laughs) do that. And I was trying to facilitate that for other people. One of the things that I, uh, I hear is this idea in your story about being open and revealing and I, I think there's a lot of people who, because of the internet, have a platform now and they're sharing regularly. H- how do you know when the right time to share something is? Like, uh, are you sharing through wounds or only through scars, or do you kind of live in the tension of both? Well, you know, it's easy to share something that you went through, but to share something you're going through mm-hmm. is different. And um, like I talk about, Uh, We have a marriage and five kids and the five kids all love each other in a blended family. So that's pretty amazing. But my wife and I go to marriage counseling because there are just certain things that we need somebody else to help us figure out what to do. And that's just us. So I don't apologize that I go to marriage counseling. I just go. And this third party certainly helps me see things that I could not see before. Yeah, so that's the, I, that's the blessing of counseling. I, I think that that has been my experience as well. I, I've done counseling for over a decade, and I go every single month, whether I need it or not. Air quotes need it. I always, I always grow from it. Um, ha, how do you feel like the church has kind of changed its view on mental health in in the time that you've really been kind of leaning into this idea that hey, we we need to get healthy. Well, there are certain churches that aren't, they haven't moved at all. Mm. But if you'll, if you'll get into the history of the head of that movement or church, you'll discover that um, there are some reasons 
personal reasons, not theological or biblical reasons. And to me, the problem was generated by Christian counselors because they'd go to school feeling called to help people not to preach, but to in, in settings of one-on-one or whatever, and they'd learn big words. Then they'd go use those big words talking to a pastor. Hmm. Well, a pastor, if they don't know the big word, they think, well, it must be must be a bad word or something. They, so if they had gone to pastors to talk about wanting to help people and use the language of pastors, there wouldn't have been such a divide. But, you know, so many things have happened. I remember uh, talking to a pastor who said, I am talking to you because I'm on antidepressant medication that I used to preach against. Mm. But it's the thing that keeps me preaching. And, you know, there are stories that just the opposite of that, that support uh, what we do at New Life. Spurgeon, you know, when he was young, uh, someone yelled fire when he was in this big, huge arena. And people were killed that oh, day. Wow. They, they stampeded out and were hurt. And he went to bed, I think, for like three months. And he, he, went, he got through that, but I don't think he ever got over it or beyond it. And people said he would be preaching and he would just collapse into depression and be in bed for a month or two. He only preached nine months out of the mm. year. Now, I believe that he could have gone through that, gotten some help, grieved what happened, and, and gotten over it. But he didn't. And people say stuff like, well, you know, Paul, he didn't have a therapist. Well, no, he didn't have a dentist either, but I bet he would have <laughs> sure liked to have a dentist. So um, I think just the evidential uh, experience that people have seen have proven that this is not a bad thing. You don't see people going to a counselor, a Christian counselor, and then saying to the pastor, well, now that I'm in counseling, I don't ever want to come back to your church again. Yeah, It's just, it's the opposite. They, they want other people to experience the kind of healing and support that they've received. Yeah, I know that's been my experience. I was I was talking about it once from the pulpit, and I had a church member come up to me afterwards and say, I feel like you think everybody should be in counseling. And I'm like, well, yes, that's an accurate description of my feelings because I want everyone to You're have like that me. same life change that I've had, right? Like it's it's been yeah. that important. Yeah. Well, this whole thing of how sick do you need to be before you go see a counselor, I just think, well, you don't need to be sick at all. How about you reached a point in life where you're thinking – I need somebody that's wise enough to tell me what I need to do to get out of this thing that I'm in or this stuck place or what's the next thing. And, you know, I go every week. Some people say you should go two times, please. But this is all I can afford is once a week. But it really helps. It helps a lot. And I would not be involved with anything that wasn't biblically sound. And, you could go to a Christian counselor, someone that says they are. And, you know, when you see a little Buddha statue in the corner, then, you know, this is not the place I need to be. Or they say things that aren't what a Christian would say. So somebody made a mistake. That's why in our network, we have about a thousand 
uh, we go to great lengths to qualify them Mm. and be sure that they really are Christian counselors. And, And you can trust when we send you to somebody because the feedback loop is really short. If we send somebody to a counselor and all of a sudden they're doing new age uh, practices or something, we get that phone call. <laughs> it comes in quickly. <laughs> so we're, um, we can, we can trust and you can trust us. And if somehow we made a mistake, we're going to deal with that pretty quickly. One of the things that I always wonder about um, when somebody who has been uh, producing content um good content for as long as you have is how how you discern God's voice on what's the next right thing to write or to create, you know, your latest uh, book, Every Believer's Thought Life. Like it's, it's kind of, um, it's one of many resources that you've created. How do you know when, when God's moving you in that direction? Yeah. Well, um, when I went through a divorce, um, about, Two years afterward, I felt like God was leading me Mm. to write this book I wrote, Healing is a Choice, because I discovered that it takes time and it takes effort and it takes choice. And so I wanted to write a book about these are the 10 choices that give you the most uh, or the greatest chance of healing. Whether or not it's physical healing, uh, I, I can't, I don't know, might be, but these are the best. And so I really felt God leading that. But Every Believer's Thought Life, um, the book that Marcus Brotherton and I wrote before this one uh, was Book of the Year. Hmm. And so we said, where's the unmet need? What can we write about that could impact the most? Well, thought life impacts everything, Yeah, what you feel, what you do. And so I trusted that this was a good direction to go. But I, uh, in most of the things that I do, I don't have this um, like divine intervention that says, write this particular book. Rarely happens. So I'm just trying to meet the unmet need. One of the unique things about this kind of work is that it takes an immense amount of discipline. Um, I, I would love to hear kind of what some of your daily disciplines are in terms of how do you stay connected with the Lord on that process? How, how does the writing process? I mean, you, you're putting out a tremendous amount of content, plus the time on the radio. It, it all takes time. How do you get it all done? Well, I have a lot of help, for one thing. That that helps. And we were talking about my assistant that helps. But um, my routine is very different because I might be traveling one day or not. And um, I'll tell you what my routine was today. Get dressed, come to work and rearrange furniture. That was my routine because a guy gave me a desk and I put it in here. And so now I've got to make things work. But most of the time I'm starting my day with uh, my wife and I did the one year Bible for men and the one your Bible for women. And I usually start by reading what she wrote about that daily passage. And then I read the scripture and I read what I wrote, which is usually quite inferior to what she wrote. And that's not a joke. The uh, people at Tyndale, um, 
I don't know. I guess they thought I don't care, but they they said, you know, when Misty sends in her writing, it's perfect. We don't have to edit it. Even the pentameter sounds right in her writing. And of course, Steve, when you send stuff in, we give it to three or four editors and they they come up and try to make something uh, readable out of it. So, <laughs> you know, my wife is really, a, um, well, she's really smart. And in both this Bible, One Year Bible for Women, and the Bible that comes out next year, which is every woman's Bible, mm. her task has been to address every verse that is a problem for women. Oh, wow. Because so many women read some of this stuff and they don't understand how could that be in Scripture? What is that all about? And, you know, she helps people understand this is the culture. And God didn't change culture. You know, he he had to work within this fallen world mm. uh, with what's here. If we'd been in the garden, wouldn't be the same. You'd have temptation because we saw that. But, you know, he doesn't wipe out every sin, just like slavery, you know. He didn't just wipe it out. He could have, but that's something that he needed us to wipe out hmm. for whatever reason. So um, I love seeing what God's doing, and I love to start with his word, and that's how I begin my days with one-year Bible passages and the things that we wrote about that passage. That's the beginning. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Steven to remind you to check out our brand new website, followtoleadcoaching.com. Follow the number two, leadcoaching.com. It's about individual group and strategic planning, marriage coaching. It's all the things that I'm doing now to help people grow in their faith and in their business. At the end of the day, we really want to help leaders uh, follow Christ and lead boldly. That's what Follow to Lead's all about. And uh, it would mean the world to me if you checked it out. And maybe, maybe there's something that I can do to help you follow Christ and lead boldly. That's what it's all about. Now let's finish up this conversation with Stephen. I am kind of curious about what do you learn about God when you write a Bible? Uh, or, you know, you, you kind of do those kind of things. It, it feels like it would be a, a both cathartic and laborious pr- prospect to kind of write a, a, a devotional like that or what does God reveal to you in the process that maybe you didn't expect? Well, it's, it's different things. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, in February, I was writing commentary on, I think it was the 13th of February, quite frankly. Um, and over in the old Testament, here is God's first high priest, Aaron, mm-hmm. worshiping a golden calf. Okay. So, you know, if you've made a bad hire, God knows what that's like, because you just don't get much worse than being the first high priest and you're worshiping a golden king. The same day, in because the, there's always an Old, Old Testament and New Testament, same day, coincidentally or what, Peter is denying he ever knew mm. Jesus. Same day. So here's going to be the head of the church, you know, make it all work. And he's saying, I never met the man. And so... What happened to these people? Well, if they worked for me, I'd be saying, uh, Aaron, dude, uh, you, you've humiliated me, and we know it's all about my ego now, and so you have to go away. Or Peter, come on. You say you didn't know me? I don't know you. Go away. But that isn't what Jesus, and that isn't what God, 
Aaron was restored mm. to his calling and finished out. And Peter, Jesus restored Peter, and he lived into his calling. That was a new thing that I hadn't really thought about before, that maybe we think we're not qualified. But what God is waiting for is for us to clean up our act, do whatever we need to do, and get back to the calling for which we were made and called divine. No different from you and a preacher or uh, whatever. And so that's an example of working with Scripture, and then something new evolves out of it. And it's so wonderful when that happens. Well, one of the interesting things about your ministry, unlike a lot of others, um, is you, you don't really just work in one medium in the sense that you also, uh, in addition to the writing and the the radio, you also do these experiential events. Um, yeah. I, I don't find many people that are 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 doing that kind of work. And I, I know you guys have um, kind of these in, intentional retreats or events all over, you know, all throughout the year. What do yeah. what's your experience like in those moments? I, I find a ton of value in them. I'm wondering if you could like talk to the person who's never been on one before, who's scared out of their mind, but maybe is looking for that next right thing to, to try to move them closer to, to God and the people in their lives. Well, you know, what you have to do is be brave enough to just show mm. up and we'll take it from there. You can show up and hate it, hate being there. You can show up determined to resist everything because it's our job for you to not resist. And so somebody can send their husband off to every man's battle and him leaving saying, I will not cooperate with these people. And once you're there, it's our job to inspire you to cooperate. But if you've never been to one of these experiences, you start on Friday, you end on Sunday, and you hear a person speak, then you go into a group with a licensed clinical Christian counselor. And you work on the things that you just heard, or you work on the things that, you know, you brought in. And you might think, well, I'm not going to open up to a bunch of strangers, but it's the perfect group to open up mm. to because you're willing to talk to folks that don't live next door and might tell somebody that lives next door to them what you've shared. And it really works. It's powerful. You have a counselor, you have uh, somebody giving you content, then you have the other people in the group. And that can be the most valuable. You know, I remember a guy saying, I'm here for my wife and the people, the other men in the group go, what? You are the most dismissive man here. You walk 10 feet in front of your wife. You order her around. You need to get with the program. And boy, did he ever get with it. And that's the thing. When you come, people can see you. Yeah. And you think they don't see you, but they do. And they can gently help you start to see yourself. And within this 48 hours, you know, we don't heal anybody, but the trajectory changes. And then nothing is ever the same again, because we get them off of this shame and repeated sin track and onto this track where I can do healthy things, small things that lead to the big insights that lead to the transformation of everything. 
And I, it's, it's the best thing that we do. And I love getting to be part of it. I know one of the things about my uh, podcast family is that they love to pray. And I'm curious if, uh, as you think about your next season of ministry, how can we come alongside you and, and what can we pray for? Well, I just, I love meeting unmet needs. And, you know, one, one day I was at a meeting at uh, National Religious Broadcasters and I was sitting across from the marketing person for Museum of the Bible. And, you know, COVID is not good for museums and other things. And I just shared an idea I had with her and she thought it was a good idea. So I am a, I'm a donor to Museum of the Bible and my life recovery Bible is on display at Museum mm-hmm. of the Bible. So I'm a, I love that. Well, I told that story to somebody who happened to know Steve Green, who's funded this thing with Hobby Lobby. And two hours later, I'm sitting in front of Steve Green telling him the idea that he ought to create an event that busloads of women would come to the museum to be part of. So he said, we'll do that then. So rather than ask the Greens for money, I raised a half million dollars And we started this thing called Lumina. We had our first event this past year, and we'll do our uh, second and third event this year. And then from there, hopefully it will really grow and expand in the third year. But it's just all about having an experience where women rise together. We equip them and inspire them to make a difference with God's word. And it truly uh, seems to have the hand of God on it. Now, that's just a wonderful thing. I mean, in 48 hours, I was part of what the Museum of the Bible is doing. And it's a, it's a great honor because that's a wonderful, wonderful place. If you've never been, go when you're in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have one more question for you. But before I ask it, where is the best place to learn all things that God is doing through you and stay connected to... Um, to new life and the work that that's so important. And if someone's ready to say yes to Christian counseling or to one of those experiential weekends, where can they find all the information? Well, you can go to 1-800-NEW-LIFE, call 1-800-NEW-LIFE, or go to newlife.com. That's that's the place. But, you know, all of my books, I've, I've uh, been part of, either authored or co-authored, over 130 books. I started in 1984. Yeah. I probably couldn't even get published if I was starting today. Um, And then the other thing is that I'm most proud of are the Bibles. You know, every man's Bible is the best-selling men's study Bible. And Life Recovery Bible, a Bible that was supposed to be helpful to 100,000 people or so, just sold its 4 millionth copy. And that's just crazy. So uh, I love that. You can find out about all that on Amazon, but... Um, new life is my home and we're celebrating 35 years in ministry in November. And, um, I think there's something there that would benefit you, whether it's a counselor, a resource, or one of our weekends. I hope you'll join us. Okay. Uh, last question. I always love to ask people. It's an advice question, except I ask you to go back and give yourself one piece of advice. Um, and I get to name the season of life that you're in. Okay, And so I want to take you back um, to the day that you turned in your very first uh, 
manuscript. 1984, 130 some odd books ago. You just turned yeah. it in. If you could turn a chair around and sit knee to knee with that younger version of yourself, hold his hands, look him in the eyes, and give him one piece of advice, what are you going to tell him? Well, I would tell him, uh, you have a job, and it's a, it's a fine salary. It's not a lot. But live off of that and take every dollar you make in publishing and invest it. Then, in 20 years, 30 years, you use that money for ministry. Mm. If I'd done that, that would have, um, you know, that would have really been a valuable thing, but I didn't do that. And, um, and sometimes I couldn't have done that, but that would have been the thing is just to really try to live off the salary and, and make this just something extra. You know, you don't, when I do Bibles, you know, I might make 12 cents mm. for a Bible. You know, it's not like you make a dollar fifty a Bible and I've done Four million, so I must have six million dollars. It just doesn't work that way, but um, I would I would do that, and uh, I also would just tell myself enjoy every day for what it has, mm. and don't always be thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. I would be more present every day. That's my advice. Amen. I love it, Stephen. Thank you so much uh, for. Um, for the work that you do for the kingdom and for the time today and for the opportunity to, to hear more about what God is doing uh, in your life. Now I have a question yes, for sir. you. When can we do this again? Cause I'd love to come back and do it again. Uh, listen, I'm ready. So, anytime you have an open invite. I would love to do it. Good. Hey, thank you very thank much. You. Man, what a fun conversation with Stephen. I appreciate his heart. It was such a fun dialogue. I love the way he talked about being more present and how um, and how we have to move and just how important that is and you know that that's a big thought process around here we have to continually lean in to our thought process and what we're doing and what's it look like and you know continue to lean into our own growing edges as they say guys I'm super thankful for you I hope this conversation was uplifting and if it was do me a favor share it with a friend maybe somebody who you know can benefit from this dialogue and uh, as always, I'm extremely thankful for the opportunity to do what I get to do because of listeners just like you. So remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.